The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them uh, and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible or need to borrow one of ours, you can raise your hand on up. We've got some of those in the back that we can pass out to you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that one with you. That is our uh, gift to you. As you're turning to Hebrews, uh, I want to start by reading to you out of the book of Acts, chapter 2. It kind of goes along with our uh, devoted series. It's kind of the framework in which we have constructed this series. How many of you guys are enjoying the devoted series so far? All right. Man, it's been super challenging to my life. I'll tell you that uh, I'm, not just, I'm not just a guy who sits up here or stands up here and just uh, tells you uh, where you should be at. I am on the journey with you saying this is where I need to be also. And so it's been challenging to me. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized. Let me tell you what's going on right now. His people, crowds of people are coming in uh, to Jerusalem. Peter stands up. He begins to preach and give a message about repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. All right, so this is a very religious context. He stands up, he begins to talk about faith in Jesus Christ and that how his work, Jesus' work, can bring about forgiveness in your life. And so these people, so those who received the message, when they received the word, they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so in one moment, 3,000 people come and say, I need Jesus. And so they give their faith in Jesus. Uh, They hear about Jesus. They're baptized in the name of Jesus. And now the church begins to grow and blossom. But now that these 3,000 have come to Christ, in verse 42, it says this. And they, the 3,000 who just came, along with the people who are already there, devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so these people, they, they, come, they come to Jesus, and then they begin to devote their lives to something very particular. So I want to ask you a question. What are you doing with your life? Very particularly... What is the aim of your life, of your every day? I, uh, I, I live in the house that I live in. I, I've lived there. Uh, I ta- asked my wife this morning how long it's been because I don't really know. Uh, but I asked my wife this morning how long we've lived in our house. We've, we've lived in our house uh, for coming up on five years. I love my house. I love it. Uh, when we first got married, we lived in this little, this little house in Wentzville, and then we moved to a little bigger house uh, in Wentzville, and then we moved across the state into a town called Cameron. I wouldn't recommend it, uh, but we were there. God had us there. Uh, uh, we, we lived in Cameron, and we had this really old, it was like a hundred-year-old house, and uh, it, was, it was super awesome. 
uh, because it was just, it just had character. You know what I'm talking about? Those houses that just have character, old woodwork, old uh, smelly basements, and it was just, it was really great. Uh, then we moved back to St. Charles, and we lived in a condo for a while uh, until we realized where God was going to place us, and then uh, we moved into this house, and we love our house. We love our neighborhood. It is the best house we've ever lived in. And let me tell you some of the things I love about my house. I love my neighborhood. I love my neighbor's some of my neighbors are here. I love my neighbors, right? Uh, I love the people that we live around. I love the kids that come into my house. I love, I love the way that my house is laid out because when you come into my house, uh, we can have a lot of people there and it's really wonderful. And, and what I really love about my house is my backyard. You guys like backyards? I love my backyard. Uh, in the backyard in the summertime, there's these, these giant, giant trees. G- they're just old trees. I love old trees. There's, there's old trees. We have four giant trees in my backyard, and my neighbor right, uh, right on the other side of the fence has another giant tree. So really, in the summertime, it gives all this shade to my backyard, and I've got this really, really great, God's blessed us with a great big deck, and uh, we can have barbecues and stuff out there, and, and, and the trees, and this tree over here in this corner, there's the, like a triple-decker playset for my kids, and there's this, this, this slide that kind of spindles down, they play on that, and right over here, the, in between the two trees uh, is a trampoline, they love to jump on that, and this tree right here, uh, there's, a, there's like a, a rope swing. It's like this rope that I tied up in the tree and it has this little seat on it and my kids get on it and I sling them, right? And they go flying and they swing back and forth in this tree. We love it. In this tree over here, there's, uh, there's a little uh, birdhouse where little birds come. I, I'm really scared of birds, <laughs> but I like my birdhouse. Birds come. I love, my, I love my backyard. You know what I don't love? Fall. fall. Because in fall, the, the leaves die and they fall. And there's so many leaves, so, 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 so many leaves. And I mow the leaves and I rake the leaves and I leaf blow the leaves and there are more leaves. Like right when I'm done, there's more leaves. There's still leaves back there. They, the leaves, they, 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 they are everywhere. And the wind blows this way and all the leaves blow this way. And the wind blows this way and all the leaves blow this way. And the leaves, they, they come and they, they push up against the fence and they, they get into the landscaping and they fall on the deck and they blow in my garage and they're, they're, they get in the gutters, right? The leaves, they just blow everywhere. The leaves have no aim whatsoever. They're full of motion, yet they're completely dead. God did not create us in his image to just be aimless. Full of motion, here and there and everywhere, doing th- whatever the wind blows, 
with no aim and no purpose. I believe that Jesus did not shed his blood upon the cross, giving us his righteousness in place of our unrighteousness, saving us, redeeming us, so that we could live like lifeless leaves in the backyard of life. What are you doing with your life? When you wake up in the morning, your alarm clock goes off, what do you aspire to do that day? What's your aim? What's your purpose? What, what difference in that day do you want your life to make? Some of you say, well, uh, I want to make a few dollars. Good. I want to I provide some food for my kids and my wife and some shelter, and, and I want to have some laughs along the way. Love to laugh. I love it. Which all, don't mishear me, they're all biblical things to provide for your family, to make money. All work is honorable work done unto the glory of God, right? And so we work. We labor, we strive, we, we make uh, some money, we provide for our family. The Bible says that if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And so we provide, and so we educate, we get smarter. Jesus says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And so we grow in our wisdom, and we grow in our education, we grow in our knowledge. And all of that is very biblical. And it says that we are to have joy in all things. So we, we do like to laugh. Praise God for laughter. Amen. What is your aim? Sure. Focus. Your purpose. Some of you, you just say, come on, Eric. I got I to gotta talk like that. I don't think like that. I don't think that way. I don't think about what my day holds for me or what my purpose is for that day. I just kind of get up and I just do what I do. Wherever the wind blows, that's where I go and that's what I do. I believe the Bible is crystal clear that we are not to drift aimlessly like a leaf. In many cases, aimlessness results in lifelessness. And so if you've got your Bible, you should be in Hebrews 10. I want to show you, biblically, what our purpose, our aim should, should revolve around a little bit. Verse uh, chapter 10, let's pick it up in verse uh, 23. We draw near to God with a true heart, with full assurance of faith. That's verse 22. They were washed by God. Verse 23. And let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So we are to hold fast to a confession of our hope. Listen, this is not something you do with your hands. It's not something you do with your feet. It's something you do with your heart. This is heart work, holding fast to the confession of our faith, holding fast to the word of God, holding fast to the promises of God, our confession of our hope that we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we do that through our hearts. We talked a little bit last week about, about trusting fully in the promises of God. You remember that? 
If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. But just some of the promises that we are to hold fast to, that this, this verse really talks about. It, it, just in the book of Hebrews, I've got several here. Uh, in, in 1016, it says that God promises that he would write his word upon your hearts. So that's a promise from God. God, would you shape my heart in such a way that I would know your word and know your promises, know your law? Uh, 1321, it says, it says that God would work in you to a point where you are pleasing in his sight. So he's going to do some work in you. He's going to do some work in your soul. That's a promise of God that we cling to. 1017 says that God would remember our sins no more through the blood of Jesus. Now, that's a good one. Right? I mean, that's, that's one that we need to cling to. I will remember your sins no more. That's a promise we cling to from God. That's a hope that we have in God that we are to cling to. Uh, He says that he will be perfected. We will be perfected for all time by a single sacrifice. So there's no more sacrifice to be made. No more things that we can bring to the altar of God to somehow please God. Because the sacrifice once and for all was made through Jesus Christ. That was the atoning sacrifice. Once and for all, I will perfect you. I will make you clean for all time. Uh, 1359, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's a promise we cling to. Amen? And so we cling to these promises of God. In verse 23, it says, let us hold fast to our confession. We're clinging to the promises of God. We're knowing the promises of God. And by the Holy Spirit, the word of God dwells in us. We accept the word and he who promised is faithful. That's what verse 23 says. And so we cling to God. We cling to the word. We trust in his promises. And that's all done with the heart. And verse 24 is our aim. Okay? Now that this heart is clinging and holding fast to God and his word and his promises, here comes the aim, the focus, the purpose. Look in verse verse 24. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he whose promise is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir one another up, how to stimulate one another. Our devotion as a Christian is a devotion to stirring and stimulating one another up as a Christian. Listen, hear me. It's not love others and do good deeds. It's not what the verse says. We're not to, we are to love others and do good deeds. But this verse tells us that our aim is, the verb here is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. How to come together and, and, and stimulate and, and stir up one another and that we can, we can constantly challenge one another and push on one another and help one another and encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5, I've got this one up here for you. It says, we urge you, brothers, 
admonish the idle. This is our aim. Our aim is to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In Hebrews 3, the very next, next one, it says, it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another. Do you see that one another? Exhort one another every day, every day, every day. Your aim is to exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence to the end. Our aim as blood-bought, blood-washed, resurrected into a new life is how do I stimulate the church? My brothers and my sisters, how do we encourage and stir up one another? That's the aim. It's not just doing love, and it's not just doing deeds. How do we stimulate, how do we stir up one another to do love and good deeds? Okay, Eric. How do we go about this? Well, let's keep reading. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together. You, do you know that if you're going to s- stir up one another, you have to be around one another? Not neglecting meeting together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. Hebrews says every day, encouraging one another all the day more as you see the day drawing near. Two things. You don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. And second, you encourage one another. Uh, Most preachers who preach this text would preach this text and say, come to church. This is a text that says you should come to church. And, And I don't think they're completely wrong with that. Uh, since one of the most important encouragements that, that many of us have found in our lives is the preaching and the proclaiming of God's word. It, it, it does something to us when we hear the word of God preach and proclaim. And so an so aspect of it is coming to church. But in the context of this verse, it's you all coming together daily and in, Encouraging and admonishing and helping and and working through things together. It's brothers and sisters. It's the church encouraging one another. Do you know the one another? It really means that you encourage me, I encourage you, you encourage me, I encourage you, you encourage me, I encourage you. It's this, it's this, it's this mutual thing that's going on. It has to be. One is encouraging another, another is encouraging one. And, and, so, and so there is something 
life-changing about preaching. There's something life-changing about the Word of God. There's something about that happens when the Word of God is taught. But hear me when I say, as a preacher, it's not enough for you as a believer to just simply get filled up by preaching alone. As a preacher, I'm telling you, it's not enough. It can't be enough. Because if we just simply go off the preaching alone, we miss it. We miss it. We completely miss it, what the aim is for the church. I cannot be the only encourager for your soul. And let me just say this. I need you. I absolutely need you. In the same way you need me to use my gifts to encourage you, we, we absolutely need each other. As your pastor, uh, when you become a member here at the church, uh, we do some uh, n- new member interviews. And one of the questions that we ask you is, is what, do you, what do you expect from your pastors? What do you expect from me as your pastor? You know what I hear all the time? Probably what you would expect. Well, pastor, I need you to spend time with God. More than anything else, for us to be healthy, I need you to spend time with God. I need you to spend time in his word. I need you to spend some time in prayer. I, I need you to do that. I need you, basically, uh, I need you to be devoted to God. That was number one. I need you to be devoted to the word. That was last week. And then they say, I need you to be devoted to the church. I need to know that your heart is with the church. Because, because there's times that I'm going to need encouragement, and I'm going to need help when I'm weak, and I'm going to need you to admonish me when I'm spiritually idle. In the same way, you need others to do that too. You need your brother. You need your sister. And I need you to do that also. Because if I'm the only one giving encouragement, we miss out on what the New Testament church is all about. I need you to be devoted to Jesus. I need you to be devoted to the word. I need you to be devoted to me. Not just just doing work around here. I need you to be devoted to my heart. My Myself, I need, I need encouragement, and I need to be prayed for. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not super Superman. I bleed just like you. I, if we're going to be the church that God calls us to be, we have to be devoted to one another, or we'll miss out on what happens when the church has genuine fellowship. Now, This type of fellowship, this type of encouragement, this type of admonishing, this type of help is explosive. It's radical. It's life transforming. It is explosive. When this actually happens in the church, lives are transformed. Lives are changed. And we stand on God's promises. And it's powerful. And it's moving. Life is too short to live aimlessly. Amen? 
People are hurting too much to not have a purpose. Sin is running rampant. We are too broken. There's lives that are too hopeless to just simply have a sign-up program fellowship church. I need us to get into true, biblical, life-transforming, life-altering, empowering, fruit-bearing fellowship. The last thing that we need to think of when we think of fellowship is some ineffective, some sign-up sheet, unthoughtful, un- untransforming, unpowerful church gathering. That's not fellowship. It's not what the Bible calls fellowship. The type of fellowship where there's not much ministry, not much mission, not much outreach, not much genuine love or genuine care or genuine prayer or genuine uh, helping one another. No real encouragement. False sense of community is what churches have been based on. They're so aimless. They're so purposeless. There's no genuine fellowship. There's no real aim. And so our aim when we come together is more joy and more of God, more purpose and more hope in God and more trusting in God and more boldness in witness and more ministry and more vision for missions. Who encourages you in those things? Me? We miss it. We miss it. We just come together. Say, hi, how you doing? You look great. Hey, thanks for coming. It's nice to see you. And then we just simply go home and watch TV. Like nothing really happened among us. It's aimless. That's not fellowship I see in the New Testament. That's not fellowship that I see in the book of Acts. Because when these guys come together, something happens. When they gathered, it said that awe came upon every soul. Signs and wonders were being done, and people were getting saved every single day. That's fellowship. That's what we're coming to stir one another and help each other and encourage each other. And oh, how we are so prone to just simply going through church, business as usual, aimless. But where's the church that's on their knees? Where's the church that stands before the throne of God, asking God, pleading with God? God, remind us why we're here. God, remind us why we gather. God, remind us why we come into this room. God, remind us why you're giving me a brother or a sister or someone by my side. When are we going to start asking God to show up among us so that we can simply be in awe every time we come together? It cannot be business as usual, church. But we've got to pray in such a way that we wouldn't be satisfied with having a nice time. You know, you can go to a million places and have a nice time. Movies is a good time. I have a nice time at the movies. Putt-putt, laser tag, all the stuff. I love having a nice time. The church... Encourage, admonish. Where's the church that falls at the throne of God? And says, God, when we walk out of here, we want to be in awe. Because we're gathering. 
with your children, asking you to show up. If you're a Christian in this place, I truly believe that that is a desire that is in your heart. I believe God's placed that desire just like it is in me to have this type of church in you. I believe the New Testament church had that desire. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to the book of Acts. I'm going to answer the question, what, is this, what does this look like, Eric? How do we know? What is our purpose? Okay, well, our purpose is genuine, life-changing, life-altering, empowered, God-believing, God-saturated, worshipful, prayerful church experience. When we come together, fellowship, what does that look like? Acts chapter 1. You can turn there with me. I may have it up there. Acts chapter 1. People are coming together. There's, there's the 11 apostles, and there's about 109 other people. All right, they come together. In verse 14, it says, All these, all these who come together, they came together with one accord, and they were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The very next verse, it says there was about 120 of them. 120 people. They're gathering together, and they're praying together. They're asking God together. They're interceding for one another. They're coming together, and they're asking God to do something among them. Luke 24, 52, it also tells us that they went to the temple and worshiped together. So they would go to the temple, they worship together, they come in the upper room and they would pray together, about 120 people, and they did that for about 10 days, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit did something. God showed up and it shook them. In Acts chapter 2, it says the Spirit of God fell on them, and there was explosion. There was this, this transforming, empowering fellowship, and what happened next? Three thousand people came to Christ because of their empowering boldness. They were encouraged by God as they gathered together, and then all of a sudden, 3,000 people came to Christ. And in Acts 2, 42, the verse that I started out with, and then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then to the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So every day, they would fellowship. Listen to me. This is not tea parties. It's not chili cook-offs. It's not coffee and donuts in the fellowship hall. This is devoted to God doing something in us, among us, around us, and through us. It is a devotion to the word of God. It is a devotion to prayer. It is saturated with worship. It is saturated with encouraging and admonishing and helping and generous, caring, loving one another, life-transforming fellowship. And what happens? People get saved every day. Every day. You know what that means? We should be making room for new people to come to Christ. Every day. As we gather together and we pray for it and we ask God for it. And we're encouraging one another in it. 
in the mission and the vision and saying, let's go and share it with boldness. Let's go and let's, let's begin to be the church, inviting them into a fellowship unlike the movies can supply. People get saved every day. God is at work among the people and awe comes upon all of them. Now, that's not the end because this, this type of fellowship is so radical, it continues through the book of Acts. I'm going to just show you a few. Flip over to Acts chapter 4. Verse 31, Peter and John have been arrested for preaching and then released. Thank God we're not there yet in this country. Continue to preach. So they preached, they were arrested, then they were released, and then they went to a church gathering where the church was. They went to fellowship in 431. Look at what happens. And when they had prayed, the gathering, the church got together, and they weren't, they weren't just having nachos. They were actually praying together. Nachos are good, by the way. I love them. They had prayed in the place at which they were gathering together. And what happened? It was shaken. The place that they were praying, it was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. After you meet the church and we're encouraging and we're admonishing the idol and we're helping you, you know what happens when you leave? You begin to proclaim the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit comes, they begin to proclaim with boldness. This is life-changing fellowship. Uh, Flip over, uh, Acts chapter 13. Oh, there's a good one in Acts chapter 12. Um, Well, basically, I'll just refer to it. Uh, James is killed. Uh, Peter is next to be killed. They're they're both arrested. Uh, But then the angel of God releases them, uh, and and they bring Peter out of the cell. And then uh, Peter goes uh, to the house or the place, and it says that many, 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 many were gathered there in that place. And he comes walking in, and they're all praying. They're all on their knees, and you know what they're praying for? They're praying that Peter would be released because James just got killed. And here he comes walking in, oh, and they're, they're praying. He's like, I'm here, you pray, you pray. It's the church coming together to pray for someone who's hurting or someone who's been locked up. But look in, look in Acts 13 too. This is, this is a great one. It, it says that the prophets and the teachers were gathering together. Watch what's happened. It says, it says verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord... So when you gather with the church and you're devoted to fellowship and you're worshiping the Lord and you're fasting, the Holy Spirit shows up and begins to speak. And it says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. When we gather in genuine fellowship, God will say, hey, that guy's going to go for me. Hey, that girl's going to go for me. Hey, set apart these people for me and send them out. You know when you gather in genuine fellowship and prayer and fasting and asking God to show up, you know what happens? Missionaries are sent out. People for the gospel will be bold and say, set apart for me. And, and we will go and we will do it and we will proclaim and we'll see people coming to the Lord every single day. When you gather in genuine fellowship, people are sent out. Look, look at uh, 16, Acts 16, 16.25. Paul and Silas are in prison again for preaching. Imagine that. They're dirty. They have chains. Their life is on the line. And what do they do? Verse 25, about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying 
And they're singing hymns to God, a, 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 a duo fellowship right there, right? Two guys in a prison singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, they were listening to them. They invited them into the songs. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfasted. And so here, here they, two guys in the middle of life had chaos fall upon them. And what do they do? They praise God. They pray to God. They're saying this is not going to stop our place. And the place explodes and chains are loosed and, and bondages are broken. Do you know what happens when we have genuine fellowship in the church? Chains are broken. Chains of sin and temptation and trials, heartache, they're broken. And doors are open up. And people are set free. God so richly desires to move among us in this way. I believe that God wants to meet with every one of you personally through a coming to know him, through the Holy Spirit, so that you can walk with him, talk with him, speak with him, know him, worship him on your own. But we will miss it if we don't do that as we come together. We will miss out on the avenues of Christ that are seen through genuine fellowship. And this Church, this is our aim. It has to be. Because we live in a broken, fallen, wicked, evil world. And we are to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. This must be our aim. Many churches and many believers... We've so richly tried to get ourselves to a place where we're self-sufficient. I think that's, as a parent, we want that for our kids, right? Grow up and be self Get out of my house. <laughs> self-sufficient. And even as adults, we're still trying to be so self-sufficient. Sufficient. My, my daughter, she's so sweet. She's eight. She wants to do everything on her own. Everything. Something that's really hard. Baby, can I help you? No, I, I've got this. Baby, can I? Let me, let me just help you with that. And you could tell it's frustrating her. You could tell she's having problems with the baby. Let me help you. No, I've got it. I want to do it on my own. She wants to be so self-sufficient. And as a church, as believers, so many times we try so hard with all of our heart never to ask for help, never to ask someone to pray for us. That's why nobody fills out the connection cards with prayers on the back except for one or two who really understand the value of someone praying for me. I'm so self-sufficient. I don't need to bother you with that. And so we just try so hard to be self-sufficient. Listen to me. You were never created in the church to be self-sufficient. I need you. You need me. We need to come together. May we never, as a church, come to the place where the eye can say to the hand, I don't need you. Maybe that's where we are. And we miss the power of God. We miss.
that's what God really wants to do among us. So as we devote our lives to Jesus and we devote our lives to his word, may we devote our lives to one another. Coming together and encouraging with the word of God. Consider how to stimulate, stir up one another to love and good work so that you can stimulate me and I can stimulate you and we truly are the church that God desires us to be. May we, may we have awe among us when we gather. May we, may we be for others what you really long others to be for you. Can you think of it that way? What you really need from other people. Will you, will you be that for somebody? So many people say, I wish, I wish someone would just pour into me. I would just wish someone, be that for somebody. Be that for somebody. May we be so unsatisfied with fellowship as usual. I, I love barbecues. I love grilled meat. Yeah, the Texas guy. Get-togethers are nice. I love watching the game with my buddies. I love it. I love parties. Anybody love parties? I love parties. You guys, you guys throw a great party. Great parties. I love parties. But, but let's start calling them what they really are. Parties. It's not fellowship. Not what the Bible says his fellowship. Let us devote ourselves to life-transforming, word-empowering, worship-filled, prayer-saturated fellowship. Because then we will have awe of God and people will get saved every day. Every day. May you be devoted to one another. And so I'm going to pray for it. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are ordinary Christians. But your word tells us that when ordinary Christians come together, and they come together with such expectancy and powerful prayer and vision and desperation, your spirit is poured out, and that people come to know you. Jesus, I ask that you would stir our hearts for that. I ask, God, first of all, that, that we would hold fast to the confession of our hope, that you would stir our hearts for you, that we would see you as faithful. Lord, that we would know today with the depths of our soul and your word tells us that anyone who comes to you, you will not cast out. That all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of the ways we've tried and failed has been placed upon you, upon the cross. And now you give us righteousness. So let us cling and hold fast to that confession first. 
But as we are, we are walking in this, as we're being transformed by this, may, us, may we come together as the church. May we be bold witnesses. May we see missionaries called. May we see missionaries sent. May we see chains broken. Jesus, break our chains as we encourage and admonish and help the broken. Jesus, let us see our need for you and let us see our need for the church. I need the church. Empower us, oh God, as the church to be devoted to one another in this way. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, we want to see lives transformed. Do that. We pray for it. We ask you in Jesus' name to do it. Amen. Amen.